on the set. Okay, everybody, quiet on the set. Scene one, take ten, Marker. From the studio of WHUPLP Hillsboro, welcome to Murmur. My name is Robert Malazzo, and over the next hour together, we'll explore where culture meets craft. Today on Murmur, words, words will keep us together. Artist, journalist, microphone fiend, Henry Rollins is with us. Welcome. Welcome to Murmur. Welcome back to Murmur. It's Robert Malazzo with you for the next hour. WHUPLP broadcasting live. We're also uh, evergreen on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play. We have uh, Instagram and social handles at MSFMurmur. And we have a website, murmurradio.com. I direct you rather bluntly towards the website because we are going to be doing some live episodes of Murmur. I'm really psyched to announce April 18th at Motor Co. in Durham, North Carolina. We will have Neil Halstead from Slow Dive uh, with us on the show. And Neil and Matt, uh, Neil, oh, sorry, um, the Cold War Kids will be with us as well. New records for all those guys coming out in April, and they're going to be on the show. But the, the lead is we're going to be live, Murmur Live. Go to our website, murmurradio.com, and you can get tickets. And there will be free trail mix. That is really the reason to come. Whole Foods is generously going to give us uh, set up a, some trail mix uh, troughs that we can all... Uh, we'll all line up at the trough and put our head in and eat some trail mix. Um, that'll be at Motorco in Durham. Really excited to have Cold War Kids and, and Neil Halstead from Slow Dive with us. We're also going to be on the road really quickly to let you know. Uh, you can go to our website and look at our road shows. You can also look at modernschoolfilm.com. In May, oh, sorry, in April, we're going to be in Chicago with Alex Ross at the Lake Effects uh, summit and expo doing a talk with Alex and, you know, legendary, uh, artist, comic book artist, uh, we'll be there April 22nd chatting with Alex uh, about this, what we call the state of the art in May. We will be in Boston at the Coolidge corner theater, uh, May 10th with Dr. Henry Louis Gates jr. Talking about movies, part of our in picture series with Dr. Gates Later in May, we will be uh, back in Chicago at the Onion Film Festival, the a AV Club Onion Film Festival. Sorry, Comedy Festival. I always call it a film festival. I don't know. Um, it's not about me. It's it's about me. Um, the festival. It's, it's a festival about me, apparently. We'll be there with Christopher Guest in another in-pictures format where we talk to him about movies that have inspired him. Chris Guest in pictures. So go to the websites, but Murmur Live, and it's a cool place to start the vibration of doing a live version of this. We want to start roadshowing this, but what's cool about that, we have Henry Rollins, and Henry's a sort of renaissance uh, mathematician, cultural mathematician. Uh, he's done so much 
in the sense of broadening what we consider performance and sound and words and music, obviously, with Black Flags and Henry Rollins Band. But I wanted to have him on the show because I wanted to examine, we're going to keep examining this, the idea of words and sounds and words like radio and podcasts. I was late to the, not late to the dance, but I'm the founder of the Modern School of Film. Admittedly, I, I was not a podcast person in the sense of a fan. I didn't, I didn't listen to podcasts. I really don't now. And it's more than ironic because this is banked as a podcast on iTunes. And I want you to listen to it on iTunes and Google Play and Stitcher. Uh, but I guess the point is, when I was a child, I can't say I was raised on radio because that would give you the implication that I was born in the 30s. I was raised, though, on by some of the great voices in the sense of my nourishment, my artistic nourishment was primarily a cinematic artistic nourishment, but but right behind that was radio and broadcasters of different stripes, more so than music radio. I guess, you know, I don't want to bore anyone, least of all myself, with talking about listening to the radio I was when I was a kid. I just want to talk a little bit about what we're going to talk about today is using words and microphones and reaching people. And ostensibly, or in, or in reality, we'd like to find out if this is true, but creating a community around sounds and words. And I'm not talking about music today, that Radio Gaga. I'm talking about the other Radio Gaga, which is you listening and me being in back of a microphone. And that's why Henry, I wanted Henry to to talk about that today and he will he's an incredible force of nature hurricane henry i call him he may be a little bit more of a tropical depression but we'll see anyway i love henry rollins um the idea of talking and listening was something that was really important to me as a child i felt rather uncommunicated to and i think listening to broadcasters on a daily basis and their words and their articulation and their rhythms and their sounds and the theater of the mind being so vivid behind that practice, I was hooked. And this is an agnostic report. And it's not about political newscasters and it's not about certain forms of, of uh, humor. It's about being connected to ideas and really falling in love with ideas through broadcasting. I'm skating away from the word radio because the show could be about radio. And once a week we are on the radio. We broadcast out of WHUP in Hillsboro. So we are actually on the radio now. Not as you hear this, you may be hearing, most likely you're hearing this later. Most of the audience is, thankfully. And we're th- I'm thankful uh, for all, all the the community listening. But I think that's part of my question. I mean, one of my, the reluctance to get into podcasting or microphoning is the lack of a two-way element. The the broadcasters I uh, grew up on and really loved authored the term of two-way broadcasting, two-way radio. And I, I still want to make Murmur more two-way. It's 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 strange and hard to do that for a lot of reasons I won't bore you with because you probably know them. But I think there's what's happening now is podcasting because the scaling and the business of podcasting and radio is so pear-shaped right now. I think podcasting and radio is is still deemed a success in the way that any format is. How many people are listening? Now, the grand total, let's say, is X, but X is made up of a thousand you know, particles. So radio, and the reason why it always appeals to me, or broadcasting, or microphoning, <laughs> or talking and, and people listening, the downside is the rhetoric and fearing no one's listening. The math proves otherwise. People are listening to this show. Uh, So what I've had to adapt to is saying something and risking no one hearing it. You know, there's a bad joke in here about a forest and a tree. 
if you podcast in the forest and no one hears it, is it still a podcast? Yes, because you're not going to get a response actively. Now, we've taken calls. We've had guests. You know, we have guests every week by phone, but the listeners are still the end game for us. Who's listening? How do they respond to us? Are we serving them? And that comes down to metrics, you know, and that's business. But it's also, I know and I trust that this format where there is a premium put on words and sounds and rhythms and, and, the, and the images you create as you listen, that still appeals to me because I know I'm still an audience member. I listen. Now, podcasting, again, is a rhetorical chamber that's different from radio because radio is more regimented. But in any event, I am now seeing Murmur grow and I'm understanding and trusting that people are listening and I think I have a responsibility and and a passionate uh, predicament that I want to keep doing this. And doing some of the live shows will be interesting, and that's something we'll we'll uh, litigate as we do them. I'll let you know how those go, and we'll you'll be able to listen to them because they'll become episodes. But the art and science and craft of listening to words and sounds and hearing people talk today, a man who knows this territory, he's charted it and continues to do it. He thinks quite deeply about this stuff. I think. You're going to be in for a great treat today with Henry Rollins on Murmur First This. Get regular with relax. Start every day the relax way. Your system will feel so great. You'll want to relax on the top of the Empire State. Get regular with relax. Start every day the relax way. When your tummy's not so hot, remember the spot get regular with relax the relax way no no more feeling it has no inner life we we need the name of the product to be enunciated a little more clearly please i'll deal with the performers and let's cut the phrase x marks the spot because people will be reminded of x lax you're being too touchy why take the chance let's run it again sally get regular with relax Start every day the relax way. Your system will feel so great you'll want. Like this. Relax, relax. What what should I be thinking in inside? Think laxative. Think think soothing relief. Please, I'll give her a motivation. Laxative, darling, you crave one. Try again. Get regular with relax. Start every day the relax way. Your system will feel so great. You'll want to relax on the top of the Empire State. It's not the commercial. It's the girl. She has no flair for it. She's the best to audition. What, what do you think, Mr. Monroe? I think she's correct to represent my laxative. She's fresh, her voice is natural, and she does it simply. Definitely. That's exactly what I was saying. What do you think, Doris? I don't like her. Get rid of her. Hey, I can't find nothing on the radio. You'll turn to that station. The world is collapsing around our ears. I turned up the radio. I can't hear it. When I got to the house,
Signal to Noise now is out of whack. Today we welcome someone who's cut through the noise. He started cutting over 20 years ago. His work in music is legion. Today we're going to talk to him about community, uh, the siren song that words and sounds can create in a community. He's written over 25 books. He has his own publishing company, weekly radio shows, weekly articles, um, guest spots, hosting, tons of talks. Uh, it helped him cut through the noise in L.A., and hopefully he can cut through the noise with us. Today on Murmur, please welcome back for the first time Mr. Henry Rollins. Henry, welcome to the show, man. Oh, no problem. One of the things, autopsying a little bit of your life, unbeknownst to you, I was really fascinated by your noting, annotating that you know when you started writing for L.A. Weekly and even doing the show on, on radio, that's when you started to connect to community. And I always wonder about that. You know, you and I spoke briefly about home the last time we connected, but the word community is an interesting word. First, let's define it. How do you define that word community? It's an analog reality where you say Marco and someone says polo back, mm. where you poke, some, you, you poke the world and the world goes, ow, or what? And in Los Angeles, it's a very ambitious city. People come here, including me, you know, from other places. I wasn't born and raised here. And they come from other places to, you know, make it like, you know, people do in New York or whatever. And it's really a city of dreams. So there's a lot of people here with all kinds of aspirations, not necessarily based in reality. And sometimes expectations are dashed and people go home you know, back to wherever they came from, you know, after 18 months of not being able to get it started. Mm. And so it's a temporary place for a lot of people. And I noticed as soon as I came out here many years ago, I started meeting a lot of, like, fly-by-nighters. And I never got an analog sense of the place. It was more like insect. Like, <laughs> they're just very utilitarian. I'm using this space to get somewhere, or I'm using someone to get somewhere. And when I became someone, you know, recognizable, people started using me to get somewhere. And there's really nowhere I can take you. You know, I, I'm not, don't know, I'm not in the big wheelhouse, but it, it, started, it alienated me. And I always kind of had that idea that L.A. was a bunch of people who don't really intersect except to see if they can do a porn film together or... <laughs> Um, you know, work together in some kind of way where they can, they can make money and where the relationships are anonymous, where everything is just kind of like, oh, hey, yeah, we did that thing a while ago, and right, we were naked together, right? Yeah, I think so. Like, it's just nothing means anything. Yeah. Where you take these meetings, like, hey, we love you here at Warner Brothers. Like, okay, you had a job for me? No. Okay. But they love you. And so at, by the 90s or 2000s, I was quite cynical about Los Angeles, not cynical, I just had agreed with myself that it's not a place where there's any heartbeat whatsoever. There's no pulse. There's just people doing things. And doing the LA Weekly uh, articles in the KCRW show, or Indy 103, where I was before I was at KCRW, people would, I'd be in the supermarket, and so, hey, man, I liked the show last week. Oh, okay. So we're having a conversation. Mm. And I'd write something in LA Weekly about an intersection that's always hung up. And someone would go, man, I'm glad you wrote about that, that intersection. Man, I, I'm stuck there every day going to work. Like, oh, we have consensus. Someone else lives here besides me. Yeah. And I, I just found how much I liked that. And I play 
a lot of L.A. bands anyway because they just happen to be really good. If they weren't good, I wouldn't play them, but they just happen to be really good. And so to be able to play local music and say, hey, you like that track we just played? They're playing at the Echo next Tuesday. You should go. I'll be there. And you turn what I call L.A. the stucco-coated uh, killing field, this kind of anonymous sprawl. You turn it into a village where all of a sudden we're talking with each other, and maybe we're not that separated, and maybe we'll respond when someone else says, help, help, I need to help me. Well, we won't kind of go, oh, well, you know, I can't be bothered. We'll go, wait a minute. That's a fellow citizen of this city. Because I always felt community in Washington, D.C., where I lived. I knew people in my neighborhood. I knew people in the punk rock scene, and we stuck together. And I don't want to live with them all in one small room, but I really enjoyed the fact that people kind of knew you where you went. I got that feeling when I lived in the East Village. Mm. After 20 trips to one deli, they get to know you, and (laughs) finally everyone in the neighborhood knows that you live in that apartment. And they stop going, whoa, Henry Rollins, like, yo, hey, man, which means like, okay, you're a neighbor. And everyone is quite over you, which is fine. Well, you're disarmingly... I don't say the word accessible or available, but you're you're disarmingly present, and and I said it almost you know too anecdotally, but you know when I first reached out to you a few years ago, you, you reached out to me a instantly and b directly. It wasn't some emissary, it wasn't some envoy. You know, do you have an especially uh, tough armor about this stuff? I mean, and and I would imagine the milieu of work that you created, the fandom would be really ravenous for access to you. When did you well, make this decision that, hey, man, I'm going to be me, sink or swim, here I am, I'm front and center, you know? Well, that's where I came from. Yeah. You know, I came from minimum wage work and punk rock, where there wasn't really any uh, separation. I mean, you're loading the gear in through the audience and you're loading the gear out through the audience. No one wants to meet you. There's no one out by the van as you're loading your broken gear, still in your gig sweat, because there's no shower backstage. And so everything was kind of raw and out in the open. And then in the, later in the 80s, after Black Flag, I started getting more, hey, can you, can you sign this? Like, you want my autograph? And I started getting that standard fan thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then into the 90s, MTV and all of that, it increased. And now, it, uh, it, it's a I talk to people I don't know literally every time I leave the house. And I'm not exaggerating. Like yesterday, I went to the record store. I you know, just dropped off some records. I did a photo with a nice kid with a Velvet Underground T-shirt. And as I was walking to the car, a guy ran up to me and just kind of blindsided me, jumped in my face and yelled, Henry Rollins! It's just I jumped out of my skin. I mean, it was my nerves are jangling for hours afterwards. And today I dropped off some stuff elsewhere. Like, you know, hey, Henry Rollins, all right. It's just, it's it's all glass walls for me. As soon as I step outside, it's on. I walk to the car today after eating breakfast. The guy drives by. Hey, I like the Joe Rogan podcast. Thanks, man. It's just a constant conversation. Mm. I'm used to it. Yeah. It and it just kind of comes with being out there and you know doing radio and TV and and kind of putting yourself out there, like doing what we're you and I are doing now. It's basically opening your door. You have to put up some boundaries. I mean, I I, I don't want people knocking on the door of my house. Thanks. We have had visitors spontaneous <laughs> in the driveway. Christ. They leave gifts. <laughs> well, uh, it's, thankfully, none of them explode. But. <laughs> well, it's, it's funny. I was working on a movie, sorry to interrupt, we're talking with Henry Rollins here. I was working on a movie with Steve Buscemi many years ago, and Steve got a package to the set. And I was naive, and I didn't know how this stuff worked. And I went up to him really casually and just said, hey, you know, something arrived for you. He said, he rolled his eyes and said, yeah, I know. That happens all the time. And, you know, I won't go into the specifics, but he he talked about how his work begot begot a certain response, you know, from a certain corridor of of fans. And this is I I can I can well imagine, (laughs) but only imagine um, who thinks really 
he speaks for and the the letters he get like man I man you and I are the same or you know yeah he uh, uh he's a good man I mean uh, I I've interviewed him before he's a stand up guy he's he's yeah, incredible he's like he's you know he's very similar to you in in a, in a sense of communal vibration you know he lives in Brooklyn well, he's I, a neighborhood guy exactly yeah, he was a 911 volunteer it, like on the day he was a fireman it's a, he was a yep, volunteer fireman volunteer. he was a stand up comic and off off Broadway East Village actor as you can you know relate to the East Village of it all and a a volunteer fireman and first respond and helping out I want to talk about something you know you've spoken about so poetically but I I want people listening to to hear this the Indy 103 uh, story because to me it's really it's a really interesting story where that started from um, where you connected and all the really interesting artists who came out of Indie 103 and I only mention that because I do this show in a community based radio station and then we bank it as a podcast talk about so are we talking about Indie 103 before I was at KCOW yes yeah okay. well I, I was on tour I don't know 2003 or 4 and I started getting email from people in L.A. saying, man, there's this amazing radio station just started called Indie 103, and they play Generation X and The Clash, and Steve Jones and the Sex Pistols has his own show, and he's amazing. you got to check it out. i got like one of these a week, and if I get one a week, you know, that's, that's a lot for like <laughs> on one topic. You know what I mean? <laughs> right, right. That, that, that means there's a lot of people listening if it gets all the way to little old me. Interesting. And by the time I got back to L.A., my, my manager at the time said, man, there's a station. I go, Indy 103? He said, yeah. Steve uh, Jones has a show. He goes, yeah. He said, they, you, should, you should check it out. So at, the, at my company, we, we listened to Indy 103, and we loved Jones's, Steve Jones's show. And he plays like, Roxy Music and Bowie. I mean, it's right, right up our alley. And he said, well, here's the beautiful thing. They like you, and they've heard you, you know, guest host for people on radio shows before, which I've been doing since the 80s. Yep. And they want to give you a job. And um, they want to come over for a meeting. I mean, they want to give you a radio show. They just want to hear what you want to do. I said, well, damn, I always wanted my own radio show. So they came over and said, what do you want to do? And I showed them my record collection. I said, I, said, I want to play this for them. And they went, that's what we want. So in somewhere in 2004, I, I started working at Indie 103, and it was just, I can't explain to you uh, what a turn on it was to have that obligation. Where okay, man, you know I need two hours of radio because like people will be you know Saturday, man, or whenever it was Wednesday night, man, they're going to be waiting. And to have that obligation was I loved it and I took it very seriously. Can't let people down. And I found I really enjoyed being on the radio. Like it just was the best thing. It was fun and people liked it. We got tons of great mail. And I never heard that band before. I'm going to go buy their records. And then bands started writing. Said, hey, we're on tour. And like every night, someone is coming up saying, I'm at this show because I heard your band on Henry's show. Mm-hmm. And that's, to me, the best letter. Like that we're helping a band and helping a young person get to new music. Wow. That, to me, is why you do a radio show. Yeah. And so Indie 103, we were having way too much fun for it to last. <laughs> you know, they just couldn't make enough money to keep it going. So, of course, it tanked. And a few days after, you know, we are all let go, uh, Jason Bentley at KCRW called and said, hey, heard Indy 103 went down. I said, yeah, keep it up, laughing boy. <laughs> he said, well, you know, I'm not trying to rain on your parade, um, but we would love to have you come over here. What do you reckon? And KCRW is where I learned to do a radio show. I used to hang out with a DJ there who sadly passed away. Uh, in the early 80s, and we became very good friends, Deirdre O'Donoghue. And everything I know how to do about doing a radio show, I got from Deirdre. I'm a Deirdre clone. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, she had the best ideas, and I learned from her about how to keep a listener with you and give them new stuff, but just kind of keep them in your boat. And I said, yeah. And I took a meeting over there, and suddenly I'm back in the same little room, sitting at the exact same desk, that I was in 1983, wow. and this is 2009, yeah. and the whole thing came back around, and I've got photos of me at KCRW when I was like 22 or 23 years of age, wow. hanging out with Deirdre, wow. and so radio has become a huge part of my life. I've, had, I've been working with one engineer, Engineer X, and I've been working together. Damn, we're going on like 
13 years now. Congrats, man. And, wow, man. We are really, you know, it's a thing. And he's a <laughs> wonderful guy. I've learned so much from him. I thought you said but you weren't a, married, but obviously you guys are. I mean, it's it's a real relationship. I mean, that's how... Oh, we're, yeah. we're in touch yeah. Yeah. every week yeah. for the over a decade. Yeah. Because I put I make the show, but he puts it together. Yeah. Yeah. He, he's he's our Pro Tools guy. I come up with the tunes and the voiceover. He's the one who makes it into a show. Yeah. And and so we work together super closely. I, I want to talk to you about what the turn-on is there, uh, speaking with Henry Rollins. But before we do... Uh just to side, just to hit pocket some of this information about Indy 103, it's a really interesting piece of history, I think. 2004, it's funny you mentioned the Ramones. The first song they ever played, the, the uh, Indy 103, was We Want the Airwaves by the Ramones. Nice. And then the, cla- the second song they ever played was This Is Radio Clash. Now, before 2004, where big brains like Henry and Rob Zombie and Crystal Method and Dave Navarro and Jonesy, who we love, uh, came on, they did a really interesting thing. I don't know, Henry, if you were in touch with this. It's funny, Shepard Ferry, guy I know you've interviewed, uh, did design... On my show, and I couldn't do it. And Shepard did the the first graphics for Indy 103, but this was cool. Because yeah. Oh no, they were all over our offices there. Amazing. Oh no, he did the logo. They had something where they didn't have DJs at 103. They had they took voicemails from listeners and played them in between songs. Did you know that this that was the architecture? So basically, yeah. so basically, they had listeners you know, their comments and then the music and then the, it's kind of interesting. And again, as you say, it's a model that couldn't survive, but I guess my, my, my question of what's the turn on is twofold. What's the turn on for you as a creator and what is, you talk about the responsibility, who's out there? What is the audience system, the give and take of doing radio? How do you construct the, the listener in your mind? Do you think about the listener? Oh, absolutely. Thank you for asking that question. I make the radio show for a single person. Mm, In my mind, I'm making it for a lonely uh, young person uh, in some wide part of America, Wyoming, uh, Nebraska. I'm not putting these places down. No. A, a young person sitting alone in a room with a whole lot of nowhere, nowhere around them. And in my mind, no one understands this kid at school. Um, he or she has interesting ideas and things that, you know, they write poetry or no one, you know, they they get laughed at for their hair or something. And that kid is really lonely. But a radio show comes on and that kid's like, I got somebody. I got someone out there, understands me, cares about me, and wants to play me really good music. And all of a sudden that kid goes, wow, I got my new favorite band. It's Joy Division, man. Thank you, dude, for getting me through the week. Mm-hmm. And I make my radio show for that kid. And I don't make it for people my age. You know, adults, I don't, the hell with them. We're just old and mean and we <laughs> litigate. But, but young people, you know, they get dumped on so hard, sometimes by fellow young people. And the world is a really mean place, and it, it, it chops young people up. And so I try and give them cultural armor, cultural awareness, and some, uh, an insignia to put on their shield to go back into that hallway in school. Like, I wish someone had given me the Stooges records when I was 15, man. I, that would have been so perfect for me. Uh, I got them later, but ninth or 10th grade would have been optimum. And so that's why I make the radio show for, so that, that young person can have a knowledge of jazz and, and music in Africa, and, and go to all five corners of the record store and be eclectic and have that be cool and, and have their, you know, like the kid likes music that no one else in school likes because they all like some big band or something. That kid knows it's okay to be different. And I just wish someone had told me that in like ninth or tenth grade so I didn't have to torture myself wondering why I didn't fit in and trying to fit in with people who eventually voted for Reagan anyway. <laughs> and, and so... <laughs> I'm trying to be that person that I wish was there for me, basically, I think. Well, I'm trying to, I try to be a good teacher for all the shitty teachers I ever had, but I, I you well, there know. There you go. No, but, I, yeah. but, it, but it's an interesting point. I think, you know, two, two quick questions. Um, what, what is the, not the regret, but so you didn't get that nutrition. You didn't get that oral nutrition, A-U-R-A-L nutrition. Right. So I got some. Thankfully, my mom had good taste in music. I but, was going to say, your mom seems to be someone who was a great guide in, in, in ways. Oh, amazing taste. 
I just wish someone had said, by the time I was 16, you can sneak into a Ramon show in D.C. as they play at this wine bar in front of 150 people. I mean, I know people who are a little younger than me, they were going to those shows. I found out about punk rock, like, you know, a solid two years in, because I was, you know, wasn't hip. But it would, wouldn't have been great if someone said, hey, man, we're, we're going to sneak into this show, and you're coming with us. Like, okay. And, and we've seen the Ramones play uh, the Child Herald, which is like a, you know, a place the size of your living room. Um, and the Ramones used to play there. All kinds of bands used to play there. And those who were hip kind of knew. I just wish uh, someone would give me the 411. I want to do that for some other young person. You know, when I think of you, amongst other things, I, I put you in that tradition. Even someone like Joe Strummer, uh, London, his London Calling show, which was amazing. Um, I yeah, guess, he was turning people, young people on yeah. to world music from all over the world. Yeah, I mean, what... I mean, he was into everything. Joe was super eclectic. Super eclectic. Anything that had life in it musically, Joe was, like, just drawn to it. He and I talked about music more than once. He was just super open... Like I, the night I met him, I just finished a show in London, and he was trying to drag me out to some blues bar. I'm like, man, I'm I'm exhausted. He's like, come on, man. I'm like, ah, you got more energy than I do. <laughs> what what is it about Joe? Because Joe talked a little bit about the intimacy of that experience. You know, you say the one listener, like it's the one voice, the one listener. The sex, the the you know, I I even think the words have a sex to them. You know, it's like I love talking into microphones. I love putting on headphones. I love that. What is it for you? Do you feel it's, it's a tunnel? It's a two way communication. Yeah. It's the two. It's the two paper cups in the wax string. I mean, truly, it's I, I make this show for one person. And if you ever listen to this show, I call all the listeners like I call myself a music fanatic. So I never say hey fanatics. I say hey fanatic. It's just you and me here. Mm-hmm. Even if there's like three people listening to the show somewhere, I'm talking to you and you and you. Not all of you. You and you and you. Mm-hmm. It's the show for me and you. We're going to listen to some music, and I'm going to talk too much about it. It's you and me, fanatic. And, and that's the show. And, and a huge inspiration for me, the thing that made me want to be a guy on the radio since I was a kid, was American Graffiti. Wow. And when the guy wow. comes in and Wolf, Wolfman Jack is there... Yeah. And he, the kid doesn't know he, that Wolfman is whatever that guy was, he was calling himself. Like, so, oh, no, man, he's not here, man. You know, he comes in every once in a while. Like, wow. Where for all those kids in their cars, he was the link to the music. He was the gate to freedom. Because you can't play those records at home. Those, you know, race records. And Wolfman Jack, in his real life, he played what they call race records. He was one of the guys who helped integrate radio. He's yeah. playing killer R&B and yeah. real rock and roll. Yeah. You can't buy those records in the Midwest and like come home and not have your parents go, what the hell are you doing? <laughs> but Wolfman Jack would bring you culture. And the fact that he was mysterious, and like he tries to give the kid a popsicle, the sticky little mothers, ain't they? And I just loved his oh, voice, yeah. and he was yeah. uh, syndicated. Uh, um, for a little while when I was young, and I would listen to him on the radio. He was, he was, I found him for like a few months, and then it, it went away, or I forgot to listen to him. And I was fascinated by his voice and the mystery of him from the film. And I said, man, because I, I was a lonely kid growing up, and I would listen to the radio, and the DJ was my friend. Because yeah. kids would, you know, throw yeah. stuff at me and push me around. I was scared of other kids. So uh, the, I liked the radio because it never tried to mug me, and it, <laughs> the guy seemed to be interested in the music, and I said, I want that job where you, no one beats you up and takes your lunch and you can talk about music, and then finally, like 30, 40 years later, I got that job, and of all the things I do, it's the funnest of, of all of it. It takes a long time to make a show, like hours and hours, but I do it, you know, just because you know, it's the best. When you create a show, is, is it, have you, are you creating a work of art? Do you consider a show a piece of art? Yeah, to me it's a piece of journalism mm. where it goes through multiple drafts and I put it together and I listen back. I listen back, not in front of the speakers, but next to them. I let the music play in the room as I do something else. Mm. And so I kind of half listen. And by doing that, it, I will naturally gravitate to the part of the show that doesn't work. Like I'll listen, I'm like, wait a minute. As you know, it's not the writing that makes it, it's the rewriting. Yeah. Uh, And so it's the the second draft. And I'll be listening where what I thought the show was perfect, send it in, we're done. 
and I listen back, I'm like, oh, no, 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 you can't have that song there. What were you thinking? Obviously, no, and you have to put in a different song. But I will listen to the whole show, like, in a different room. So I have a bunch of rooms in this building. And I'll put it on in one room and go work in the other and kind of hear it wafting in. And immediately the songs that, it's not that they're bad songs, they're just not in the right place or not for that week. They kind of interrupt the flow of, all the, of the majority of what the show is trying to say. Mm. And, and what, what is needed is now obvious. It's a tone or a texture or a velocity that needs to be addressed. I go, wait a minute, that's going to be, oh, it's going to be uh, Fela, Fela Kuti. Boom, there's a seven-minute track I know from that record. It's going to go right there. And whatever it, the show needs is becomes, at this point, after making like almost a thousand of them at this point, um, becomes obvious. Well, go, oh, that's the thing it's missing, a little red over there in the corner. And so the shows often go through two or three drafts, hours and hours. It's a bit much, but um, it's, if someone's going to listen and, and take time out of their life they don't get back, I think I owe them my due diligence. And I, I just really appreciate when something is done well. And I, I live to do things well. I'm not trying to say that I always pull it off, but I'm really trying. Just a couple more beats here with Henry Rollins. I was actually thinking of Charlie Chaplin. I was thinking of someone, you know, a writer-director in a sense, you know, because you're in the thing and outside the thing. Um, so there's the structural component as you're talking to. The show has to ebb and flow. It needs a rhythm. It needs a, a cadence, a heartbeat. But what about the guy behind the mic? Do you listen to your voice? Do you critique? Oh, do you critique yeah, your performance? Is a big deal. Yeah. That's why I use a specific mic for different purposes. Mm. Like uh, on, on stage, I will work with nothing but a 58. Uh, not a wireless. I, I never like the sound of a wireless. I hate I just wireless. Can't, Me too. It, it, no, it's awful. Yeah. Um, it's a handheld uh, Sure 58. For the radio show, I use an SM7, which we use at KCRW. Uh, for voiceover, I, I like a Sennheiser uh, 416. Because I just, I just know my voice in these mics. Mic technique is a big deal. And I use every part of the ball of the mic because it's, it's like a drum. There's different sounds that you can get. And so the mic is an instrument to me, and I use it. And if you watch me on stage, you'll see distance, my distance from the mic and the angle I, that I'm going on different words where it's a constant uh, thing. I'm not just talking into it. I'm using it as an instrument. That's stunning. You could te- you should teach a class. People have asked me. They go, that you, you sound really rich on the thing, and how do you do that? And how come? I said because when you are going to say P S or T, you want to go over the diaphragm. You're, the the mic will catch the word, but it won't catch the sibilance. And and if sibilance through a big P A, you will give someone a brain hemorrhage if you hit them with a P or a T too hard on the diaphragm. And you'll see like major speakers, like presidents and prime ministers people who speak for a living with awful mic technique. Like, man, you're talking to thousands of people. You've got to learn how a microphone works, so you're killing me, man. Well, who do you think are some of the best orators? I, I think uh, Barack Obama uh, was a, is a great speaker. Mm. I think he really understands how to hold an audience. His, his cadence, his rhythm, his real emotion, albeit subdued and refined, would, he was, gave a really nuanced performance. I really enjoyed it, where uh, other uh, people speaking were like Clinton, a, a guy who I greatly admire his intellect. I, uh, his speaking style, I, I, just, I never believed him. Even when he was telling the truth, I'm like, man, you, you got that car salesman thing. I, I feel like I've been sprayed with Pam. I just don't, <laughs> I just never, I, you're trying too hard. Stop it. I, I I think there's a lot of comedians who are just, just the way they deliver. It's why they get paid the big bucks. They say it in such a way. It is true. Where they just knock you out. Like Patton Oswalt. Yeah. You know, he's, he's so smart, and his delivery is so great. Uh, I, I just I think there's uh, Colbert. I mean, I, I did his show with him and watched him work. He's such a high-functioning guy. Like, his interviews are peerless. Yeah. He's yeah. just stunning because he, he's he's as smart as the person he's interviewing and that's the thing it, it you, the, the the best speakers to me are the ones who are really smart and i aspire to i don't have it but, you, but you're I a know failure what I'm after. you're and you're, so I, you're I, a I disgrace myself towards it <laughs> you're a disgrace Hedrick. I, I do my best but um 
I, I do a lot of work on trying to be clear in writing and speaking, even if it's just into a telephone or a microphone. I work on how I say words and how I construct sentences, and I learned a lot of that from Lincoln. And I'm no Lincoln scholar, but damn, am I a fan of him. Mm. And, mm. you know, it's all free online. You can read his speeches. And, like, his speech to the Young Men's Lyceum, uh, Jan 27, I think, 1838, I think it is. I used chunks of that speech, which I've memorized, as a warm-up and focusing exercise before I go on stage every night. Amazing. Because no one built a sentence better than Lincoln as, as far as our presidents who I've been able to study. Wow, did that guy understand the power of words. It's a, a politician is also a lawyer. I mean, yeah. he understood that words matter. That's that a great note. Punctuations matters. That's a great note. I, I often will take a presidential speech and give it to my screenwriting students and rip all the, all the titles off it. I won't tell them who the author is. And I'll say, tell me about this person. And they often, from a presidential speech, can divine the most specific characteristics of this person because, as you say, they need to aspire. That's the aspiration of that type of speech. I make my living. On words, and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm not trying to put a financial component in. I am listened to, and I don't enjoy that. I fear it. I fear failing it. And so, thankfully, I don't take myself seriously. I take information and the fact that someone else is listening to me, I take that seriously to the point of nausea. Mm. And I think that's a good thing. Like, I have people around me who I work with, they go, you know, you... you you, you don't need to be so hard on yourself. I said, well, thank you, and you are just wasting your time. I, I, don't, I can't be hard enough on myself. I, I don't like that idea. Well, I, I will, I'm like, oh, give yourself a break. Like, shut up. You, you give yourself a break. I'm, I'm not interested in giving myself a freaking break. I actually dated a girl once who said to me, Rob, I'm afraid that when you find what you've been looking for, it, it won't be enough. So I wonder, I mean, this is kind of a different conversation. Have you ever done something that was enough? Or was... Yeah, music. Yeah. As a performer. Yeah. I did it. I hit it so hard, it, it broke my body up. It uh, shook, literally shook the pigment loose in my eyes. I went to an eye doctor once. He said, what do you do for a living? I go, what do you mean? <laughs> he, like, he goes, here's a normal eye. Sh- showed me a bunch of photos. He said, here are your eyes. The pigment is, you have shook the pigment loose. Jesus. Your eyesight is fine. It doesn't affect your eyesight, but you have physically moved the pigment around. He said, what, do, you, do you do a lot of shaking? I'm like, yeah, I move a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot. He said, yeah. He said, I've never seen anything like this. I said, well, there you go, man. Rock, rock and roll, baby. <laughs> yeah, and so I did music until there's no more toothpaste left in the tube. I had no more lyrics, yeah. and I couldn't. Give it another ounce. I, I, I did it to death, as James Brown used to say. And that's the only way to do it. I'll write until I, the, the, ink, the ink in me runs out. And uh, that's it. And, and, but, and once I'm done, I mean, I've gone on stage and guested with people for fun or for benefit. But I'm not looking to be in a band. I, I, it'd be reheating something that I'm not able to... I can't do it. I can't heft it because it wouldn't be real. And so music, I definitely did for me all the way. And I can't go back. There's nothing to go back to. The, the, the earth is scorched. Everything was incinerated. Whether or I'm not sure of it. And once you're out, to me, when you lose that, the thing that got you in, there's no comebacks. I don't believe in them. So that's why I hit it and I quit it. Um, I hit it full on. I, I don't go, I, I'm giving this a year off. I have to get off the road for a year or so because I can't go back to the same city and tell the same stories. I need to go out and get new material. So that becomes a, a, a thing I do. I travel for a year mm. getting new ingredients in the pot so I can ladle it out on stage. So it's, that's another kind of tour. But I don't retire and come back like some people I've been in bands with because you don't get back on. You either you stay on and then you get off and leave it. I want to talk a little bit about you know the the longer game for things like podcasts and radio. You know, even this word radio hits people the wrong way. Like young people, what the hell is a radio? Well, exactly. 
right. So no, it's going away. So podcast, what, what you you and Heidi do a really cool podcast. I think it's great, Heidi and Henry's podcast. Why do you do the podcast? What do you what, what what's the Jones for you? Where do you get off? How do you get off on podcasting? Because you can communicate like you and I are doing now, uninterrupted, right? Without sound bites and someone jumping in or you having to bump up against some commercial. It's like NPR. Like someone can roll out an idea without getting stepped on. And it's voluntary as far as listening. No one's making you listen to a podcast. And so now everyone and their dad is a podcast, apparently. I mean, there's a lot of them out there. And so the listener has to separate the wheat from the chaff. That's on their time. And obviously, you know, the, the good stuff stays and the rest of it kind of blows away in the wind. But I like this freedom of communication, this ease of communication, and the option to turn on your smart device and whatever and get turned on to different ideas, different points of view, without advertisement. And I, I know that some podcasts have it, but without censorship and without agenda. And I'm sure there's some podcasts that are agenda-driven. Humans, are that's what they do. But not all of them. Some of them are just like you and me having a very real discussion in real time. That's not, you know, you and I didn't work this out before. We're just talking. Don't tell anybody you know? that, please. That's our secret. Um, you know what I mean? We're, I do. Just... I do. But you, you used an F word, which is really interesting, freedom. And it was funny. I was thinking about Howard Stern. I know you, Howard's interviewed you a handful of times. And I was thinking about when Howard went to uh, Sirius Satellite. I actually think one of the things that I missed about him making that change is I actually missed the limitations. Me too. I oh, I, 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 I missed loved it when he was banging up against the exactly wall the tension. I loved his frustration. Yes, it was the sand inside him that would make pearls come out. And soon as he could curse all he wanted, it was like a deflated balloon. Uh, exactly. Like when you watch the yeah. Chappelle show on yeah. TV and they beep all the words. The beeps are the punchline. I love exactly right. I, mean, I think they write them with the beep, hearing the beeps. Because when you buy the DVD set and there's no beeps, I prefer the beeps. I agree. What is that though? Just to jump back on Stern, what, what you know, this idea of limitations versus freedom. I think art is served by limitations to a certain extent. What does the community get from the freedom of a podcast? What is the? I think they, I think they get something that's really intimate, mm-hmm. that's very real. That's not being coached or is uh, in any way uh, n- trying to be something it's not. It's like to, to win you over or get your money. And it's real. And that's what I like about it, where it's unguarded, I, I guess, is the thing that it's most interesting to me. I feel there's even more intimacy with the trigonometry that we can achieve without borders. So maybe that's my answer to my question. Well, yeah, no, I, and I would agree, and that's why I like the podcast. Yeah. Because I, I listen to some of them. I, I do way more of them than I actually listen to. Um, <laughs> well, that sounds reasonable. Like I, get, you know, I, I get a lot of requests, and Heidi and I, we, we try to do one a week and stockpile them for the long winter. And, and so it's become a part of my life. And I, I, I have really come to like the format. We get a lot of very friendly mail about uh, the Hen- Henry and Heidi podcast. Very, you know, a lot of affection. And it's great. People love it. It's, it's the, at the right price. And, and people love it. And the fact that we've made something that's so appreciated. I really like when someone likes what I do. I, I really enjoy that. I, I, you know, when someone goes, hey, man, that, I love the radio show. That, that, I just glow when I hear that. I like that. I don't you... think I'm something. I just, we did something that mm. someone can use. Man, that's like it's the reason you keep showing up. Well, one of your most common phrases you use on, on your shows is thanks for listening. And I think that's it's not a subtle tag. Uh, no, no. They, you, they're investing. They're, yeah. they're coming in with you. Yeah. Yeah. yeah they're, they're matching you for your enthusiasm. They, they you know, endured you for two hours. When I mean, when I say you, I mean me. And, and <laughs> the fact that they like it, you're like, wow, okay, we've got a thing here. And it's the best. I've never gotten over how elated I get. It never gets old to me, and it's not an ego thing. It's like, wow, we're doing a thing, and someone cares, and it's 
things are just got a little better. Last question. You know, I think of the cockroaches a little bit of, you know, the cockroach art forms, the forms that will outlive us all. Do you think what we're talking about is a firm grasp of the obvious or do you think oral art will survive? Is it evergreen? I mean, we're in this Instagram nation now. Do we need to keep reaffirming the value of words and oral communication? And as you say, that tunnel, that tunnel into the brain of the listener. I think think there'll always be room for, there'll always be an audience for someone with something interesting to say, Mm. no matter how much Instagramming or five second videos or, you know, uh, texting, which is just, you know, bombed the English language. Um, (laughs) Despite all of that, there'll still be literacy. There'll always be some form of radio, not necessarily radio that you turn a radio on, but there'll be a way to get music with someone saying, hey, here's what you just listened to. Because it basically, it's folk music. Like, no matter what kind of music you're playing, when someone's back announcing the music and telling you what you just heard, that's a folk talking to folks. It's interesting, yeah. I and love and um, I love that. That, that that's a. I always tell people they go. So you're talk, you know, your spoken word shows. I'm like, I don't do spoken word. It's folk music to me. Yeah. Uh, I, I'm I, it's I'm in front of other people. We're communicating in a beautiful analog, you know, from me to you. And in a way, it's like being a horn player. If you don't push the air out, nothing happens. There's no pedal to stomp on and have the thing sustain. So I'm kind of like, a, in a way, a sax player. I, I love that. I, I was thinking of riding a horse. A horse doesn't move. You've got to move it. <laughs> you, you've got to lead it. You've got to yeah, yeah, command it. Yeah, I like it. the talking shows because it's just me. Yeah. And it's all manual. If I don't keep pushing words out, the show dies immediately. Yeah. And that's how it is on stage. If I don't keep it pushing out, people are like, is he okay? Mm. What's he doing up there? Yeah. And I, I, I like that line of communication and the desire for an allotted amount of time to not let it hit the ground. And I don't think the appeal of that will ever go away. You see the success of podcasts. You see that it has changed radio. People I used to listen to on syndicated radio, like comedians, like Phil Hendry, the genius comedian on radio for a million years he's been on. He was, you know, on a bunch of different station syndicated. He now does his own podcast. I've been a faithful subscriber for years. He's hysterical as he is brilliant. And he does five shows a week, one on Saturday for the special listeners and all this other stuff. And the podcast kicks the radio shows butt every day. I love the podcast. And the radio show is amazing. The podcast is even better. And so you see what a good format it is because so many people are into it, and it has put radio in a whole other... Radio's lost a lot of, a lot of its traction for a lot of reasons, but podcasting is, is certainly one of them. So it's a very viable medium that I don't think is going away anytime soon. I think of, any, of anything, it's going to get stronger and stronger. When, and, and look, you and I have basically collaborated in making this conversation. It's a one-off. It's like a Warhol Polaroid. There's only one, and it's not staged. I, like, I had no idea what you were going to ask me about today. So all of this is it's a one-off. It's a one-take, and it's real. And I think that's a great thing about podcasts, where it's just immediately fresh. I want to thank you, Henry Rollins, for being such splendid company, because the reason why I like doing these shows is the company. Thank you so much, man. Uh, if we can ever be of service, we are humbly at your disposal. We're watching. We're behind you all the way. Thank you so much, Henry, for being with You're us. You're very welcome. I, enjoy, I greatly enjoyed it. Cheers, man. Be well. There's not enough time, maybe in the week or the year, to uh, unpack what Henry, A, and B, what he said. But I will just leave you with one thought. Folk art. I love that. If I could have if we had more time and we talk about the restrictions of time, we are restricted by time. And I like that. I wish we had more time, but I, I like the fact that we have borderlines to draw within. I find the use of the borders to be much more interesting than a full explosion of color, of folk art. More on that in the coming weeks. We want to thank Henry Rollins for being with us. We want to thank you for being such splendid company every week. Uh, MurmurRadio.com. We have live shows coming up 
at Motor Co. Go to our website. We want to talk to you more. We do want to make this more of a two-way experience. Email us. Uh, we'll start taking some calls as well. Murmurradio.com every week, live, WHUPLP, Hillsboro, and also iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play. See you soon.